1: We talked about taking full advantage of the skills of immigrants in our first segment. Now we'll meet members of a family with immigrant roots, putting both skills and compassion to work at home and abroad. It's the family of Dr. Zia Ahmed. He's a cardiologist. He and members of his family have traveled to Bangladesh to help Rohingya refugees from Myanmar living in bleak refugee camps. Meantime, his son started a program here called Biking for Books. It raises funds to provide books for St. Louis schools. Quite a family. Joining me in studio are Zia Ahmed, his wife Fatima, and their son Ariz. Thank you all so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank and you. congratulations on all you've done. We'll tell folks what that has all been in a moment, but uh, it's really been quite impressive, your, your, your background. Zia, so, yeah, let me begin with you. What, what is the motivation for your becoming so involved in the community, both here and abroad?
0: Well, I think uh, growing up, we always saw an emphasis uh, in helping others, and uh, especially the ones who are less fortunate. And in addition to that, we wanted to live our faith, uh, which is a strong emphasis in uh, religion, Muslim, uh, by faith, our family. And there's always a great tradition of uh, helping others, not just to talk about it, but to actually live that. And thirdly, which is also an important uh, factor, last but not the least— was to lead by example for our uh, uh, boys so that they consider a life uh, of service an important part of uh, what they are to do in their future lives.
1: Mm -hmm. Fatima, what has your role been in all of this?
0: Um, So
2: um, uh, I have worked with the refugees families here in St. Louis, the Somali families and the Syrian Mm -hmm. families. And you work with them and uh, you hear their stories and you find out what all they have gone through. And, and that makes you want to help them out in uh, what all they've endured. Um, I myself am uh, also, I grew up in a middle-class family. Mm-hmm. Um, and one emphasis I saw in my uh, family was, the emphasis was always there on helping others, um, whether it's a neighbor or an extended family member or uh, whoever else, and however... My family could help. We tried to uh, try to get involved and help.
1: It's just been a part of your life, part of since life since the beginning.
2: Since the beginning, yes.
1: Aries, you uh, come at this a little bit differently. You've got these great examples uh, right in your own home. What about your own approach to this?
3: So, I was I was always involved in biking for books. But now that my brothers are away at college, I'm more involved. I help organize the event. I get my friends to come participate and volunteer. And this year my school dean came. And I'm also very active in getting the word out.
1: Right. What exactly is Biking for
3: Books? So, Biking for Books is a nonprofit that raises money at a biking event to buy books for St. Louis City Schools.
1: And and uh, how did this come into being? What uh, what made you decide you and your brothers that this is something you wanted to do?
3: So, my brothers and I are very avid in biking we enjoy it and we also enjoy helping back or giving back and our family friend uh, Barry all oh, grew up in one of these schools and realized that we needed to help that we decided that we wanted so you're to.
1: raising funds for books my understanding is that most recently you've also been giving away bicycles
3: yes this year we received a donation that allowed us to give the bikes away so we decided to do that and when it was announced at the event, that was very fa- powerful because getting your bike is something you never forget. And it was just pa- very great to be a part of that experience.
1: Well, we'll come back to that in a couple of minutes. I'll go back to the parents for, for a bit. Uh, Zia, you mentioned that uh, what you do and your motivation is very much inspired by your Muslim faith. What is it in the Quran that dictates that?
0: So in the Quran, everywhere where it is mentioned the people of faith, there's always about good deeds. So I'll give an example of one of the uh, verses in Quran. It's a Surah Asr in which it says people that people of uh, um, the one who are believers do good deeds. <speaking in Hebrew> it's Surah Asr in that. And if there was an emphasis, if you look at the life of the Prophet, there was every emphasis was on doing good deeds and helping. Prophet Muhammad became a prophet at the age of 40. Before that, what he did was establish a life of helping others, of humanity, of coming around with things that were unheard of in the Arab world at the time about the rights of minorities, about the rights of kids, how you treat elderly, how you treat infirm, how you treat the weak. And this is what actually is the basis of Islam. This mm-hmm. is what worship is, to help others and to do good.
1: I don't want to get political, but I'll just ask this one question. in Fatima, I'll Send it, uh, send it your way, if I may. Uh, g- given the political atmosphere in the country today, do you think Americans really fully understand uh, what Muslims are all about?
2: Um, I think the media has not done a, a justification in that. I think Muslim faith is about giving back, is, is about helping others. And as Zia had mentioned, it's um, our Prophet. Uh, life is an example of that. He helped others. Um, he himself was an orphan, so he understood the situation for uh, uh, the orphan kids. And, um, and this is the whole uh, the whole idea that we have gotten involved ourselves also because um, um, there's a saying that if you want to help someone, don't just um, get him a fish; t- teach him how to mm-hmm. um, uh, catch a fish. And that's what we try to do as well. Um, the, the Viking for Books is, is an example where um, we've tried to um, instill the... Uh, so the, the kids learn how to read and enjoy reading, and that's one of the things that we want to do.
1: Interesting. The fish analogy is very much a part of the Christian faith as well. They're not that far apart, are they? In, no, they're three. They all have the same, the same root. roots. Zia, do, you, do you want to take that on? with, And then we'll skip the political yes, stuff. Yes,
0: I think... Um, Majority of uh, Americans who've come in contact with Muslims understand what Islam is about. That's a religion that teaches good. And like every uh, faith, there's some bad actors, but the majority of people are good. But unfortunately, the sensationalization which takes place with uh, news that are there and that covered uh, much more in the media, Mm. which gives a bad name. But I think I go and practice in rural areas. I've got a clinic in southern Missouri in Ir- uh, Ironton. I go down to southern Illinois in Redbud. And majority of, the vast majority are Christians. They have not come into contact with Muslims. But they understand when we talk to them and you tell them. They understand and appreciate what the Muslims are doing in their communities. So that Islamophobia is not really a part of the American uh, society of fabric except what is being whipped up by LTA motive, by the politicians, or by media. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I knew quite frankly what your answers were going to be to that question, but I think it's important for people to understand who don't understand that. And Ariz, how about you? You were born in this country? What, what does uh, all of this mean to you, and how does it affect you?
3: Well, I agree that the media doesn't do a good job justifying it. But all the things that those people are doing out in the Middle East, those terrorists, one thing we Muslims do is we say, assalamu alaikum which means peace be with you. So I think that's very important, and that's a part of our culture.
1: Okay, now let's get back to uh, some other if
0: things. If I can mean, add one thing, Don, but, but at the same time, we appreciate uh, media personalities like you and having this opportunity to come and talk about it. And I think this is also there, and I do not want to overlook that and not mention that.
1: Well, thank you. I'm proud to do it and happy to to do it. It's an important thing to have people know. I want to talk a little bit about your work in Bangladesh because, uh, here again, it doesn't get as much coverage, the situation there, the refugee situation, as it should. But, uh, Zia, how, how did you get into this part of your life to help the people in those refugee camps, which are just awful from what I understand.
0: So it was actually by happenstance that I, I'd i read about the conditions and this crisis in uh, in Myanmar and was aware of that. But it just happened that I picked up a, an article. It was in New York Times back in April last year, which talked about the story of uh, a 20-year-old girl who had – her two sisters killed uh, raped and killed. her mother and younger brother were killed in the other room and before that, her fourteen month old son was ripped from her hand before it was thrown in front of her eyes. He was sewn into burning fire and and then this uh, poor girl was raped. she obviously was in a state of uh, trauma and shock when she came to Bangladesh and in the camps, and this reporter had actually put the story out. And that really moved me, and I came and talked to Fatma, and I said that I'd like to go and volunteer there. Even when I speak about it now, it has a profound effect on me. Um, and that is when Fatima, because of her background of the Syrian refugees and the Somali refugees here, she said that she wanted to go and, and help there.
2: Yeah. And um, so when he came back um, from, he had actually gone to a conference, he came back with the newspaper and he said, this is very moving and I, I think I'm going to go there. So I, I knew that he is certainly going to go. And, and there are times when you see some things and you can't explain, but this, is, was, this didn't need any persuasion. It just was clear in our minds that we all want to go as well.
1: G- give me some sense of what conditions are like in those camps.
2: Very, very sad. Let's just say that the camp, um, the density in that camp is twice the amount of downtown Manhattan. Mm -hmm. So you can get an idea. Downtown Manhattan has high rises. This is just all flat area. It's all hilly. Um, In addition to the fact that I can give you some examples that I, some, the clinics, in the clinics, the things that I saw, there was this, young girl who had come in. She was just 19-year-old. And um, she had a miscarriage. And she had been brought in uh, on a bamboo stick. So the fact that the improvised turned a bamboo stick into a stretcher, and both the ends were being carried by two men... And uh, a basket, the, in a, uh, like a basket, mm-hmm. and Sia, you know, and saw her, knew immediately what you know what the, there had to be some blood transfusion and all that stuff had to be given, and she had to be transported to a hotel, uh, to a hospital, and the hosp- closest hospital was f- about forty-five minutes away, all hilly area, and the guys had to walk her. there Ca- carry her. Carry her hand. back over there, and that was a sad, sad thing. There is a, there was one instance in which, the two girls. 14-year-old and a 6-year-old. The 14-year-old is the breadwinner because the parents have mm-hmm. been shot dead, and, and the, she is taking care of the 6-year-old. That's that's, that's a, such a sad situation.
1: Uh, e- even describing it, uh, you, I guess we cannot fully picture what uh, what it must be like, even with the, with the uh, pictures that you paint for us with your words.
2: Mm-hmm. It is it is it is very sad, even when Are I talk
3: about it. it.
1: Yeah. Ariz, what was your impression of this? I mean, you're a young man. I'm, you, you've you never been exposed to anything like this before.
3: No. Um, the drinking water there was very scarce, and they didn't even have proper bathrooms. They didn't have—the uh, lack of sanitation was eye-opening. Most, so most of the kids didn't even have shoes. Uh, one thing that really struck me was how they get their food. To collect their food, people must have ration cards— and to get that, they wait, in line, they wait in the line for hours. Now that they have the ration card, they must wait in the line just as long as the last to go collect their food by mm-hmm. showing the ration card. What struck me was that I was such a hassle to get food. Here I can just go to my fridge and get something to eat. Yeah.
1: What, what exactly did you do in the camps?
3: I worked in the pharmacy specifically when it came to record-keeping and medicine. Mm-hmm.
1: And Zia, what were you doing? Were you doing surgeries, or what precisely was your role?
3: No, it
0: was a primary care. Uh, as a cardiologist, one has to do medicine before, so I do have a primary care background, although that's not what I do day in and day out. But in the clinics, that was it. So we were seeing all kinds of patients. I was seeing kids. There's a an uh, outbreak of diphtheria uh, at the time in the camps. So mainly that like this uh, girl that Fatma mentioned about this young um, female who came in with uh, shock in postpartum hemorrhage, which is bleeding after uh, the birth of a child, mm-hmm. so and dehydration. So we saw all kinds of patients. But I think in the terms of the condition, if I may, it's uh, there are about close to under a million people in this huge uh, area, and all are tens. Which are just made of uh, tarpaulin and bamboo sticks, and it's all hilly, up and down, there are no proper roads, although some uh, ways have been made. There's some bridges that have been made by uh, bamboo sticks and ropes by the uh, refugees themselves. The thing that struck me they had water is there's no water, there's no electricity. They are digging um, uh, these tube wells. And they're being done by the Rohingya refugees themselves. The spirit that they they had, they were not feeling victims. They knew they had a problem, but they were doing one day at a time. And it was amazing how they were dealing with the adversity and the bad condition that they have to deal with. How many people are in these camps? It's well over a million, isn't it? It's it's under a million. By some estimates, it's close to a million. Since the military action started on August 25th of last year, there have been close to 700,000 people that have come between August 25th, 2017, to when we were there in December. There has been a, tr- a little uh, trickle of refugees after that as well. Before that, they used they were about close to 300,000. Uh, refugees that were there before in these camps.
1: What kind of uh, equipment did you have to work with? I mean, what were the facilities like for you to do the kinds of things that you and Fatma were doing and and Aries?
0: So the first time I went, or we went as a family, which was in December, it was just plainly um, being able to examine a patient, triage them, and give them the medication that was being given. Uh, That was no blood test. Nothing could be done. The second time when I went in April and I went myself with uh, some other physicians that I had taken as volunteers, we were able to spend time. And at that point, we did have an ultrasound machine there. We did have ability to give IVs in patients with dehydration and do some initial lab work. So that has changed. But I think for most of the thing, it is just primary care, basic health care, No other facilities are there. We can't do an x-ray for surgeries and all that. We have to send them to a field hospital.
1: Fatim, go ahead. Um,
2: There's one thing I wanted to say. These are people with so much potential and very little opportunity, absolutely no opportunity. One example that I wanted to give was there was this kid. uh, He had a water bottle with him, and what he had done was cut the end of the water bottle, turned it into a tail, and in the front he had put two sticks which were like antlers and for wheels what he had done were the caps the bottle caps so it was like a small pet he was carrying with him which was uh, rolling towing. which towing him yeah. and and this is this is you know innovative thinking i mean you know turn a water bottle into something like that and uh, there was another incident uh, you know the ultrasound person
0: yeah there's a a refugee who actually had trained himself into a sonographer by looking at YouTube videos. And he was doing a pretty decent job there yeah. in the second time that I went. Well, they
1: mm-hmm. say necessity is the mother of invention, and I guess that's uh, yes. a, a couple of examples of it, perhaps. Yeah. Aris, how about uh, your, your association with younger people, people of your own age in these camps? Did you have any real contact with kids?
3: I... I did see some little kids. I didn't really have that much contact with them. I was mainly focused in the I was mainly focused in the pharmacy recording, but when we would we, w- we went and visited schools the first day. And I remember I I all mm-hmm. the kids I met I met them, I gave them hugs, I shook their hands. And that was really powerful because there was a 14-year-old kid my age and he was ha- he was a, at least a head taller than me, and he was very, very thin. He was extremely malnourished, and he had—he clearly was—he dehi- clearly was lacking the resources he needed to live. And that was extremely powerful because here it's a completely different story.
1: Yeah. Uh, Zia, how do you how do you balance y- your professional life here? With all of these travels abroad and the things that you're doing uh, overseas,
0: so I'm fortunate uh, to have uh, a group of physicians that we uh, cross cover each other, and um, it does take me from my professional uh, work, but at the same time, I think there's an understanding that the colleagues have, and they help me out with that. So I appreciate that, and I think, um, uh, and it's not just there. If I may take this opportunity also to say that I, I'm part of a, a group of other Uh, American Muslims who work day in, day out. And I think we have a couple of um, clinics that we run interfaith in churches here, one in North St. Louis, one in Ferguson. And it's weekly clinics in which we see patients, most of them are uh, non-Muslims. But I think it is all to help uh, in living our tradition. And I think it's not just our family is a representative of many other families of American Muslims who are trying to do uh, good work, and we're trying to uh, live their faith.
1: Well, I, I'll ask you, Fatima, as well. Be, our time is running out. Uh, how do you balance work as a as a mother and a housewife with all the other things that you're doing?
2: No, it is, um, It's. Um, I'm. I'm very grateful for the fact that I'm able to do all of this. Um, I'm. Um, it's. It's become much easier now. The older two are now in college now, so that is a. Uh, easier situation but when the kids were younger I wasn't able to help as much sure. but it's I'm, I'm glad I'm able to do this
1: in one sentence Ariz, how are you balancing school and volunteer work
3: um, do my homework and I do what I can to help when I can I want to
1: thank you all so much congratulations what a family you should be very very proud of each other and I'm i am sure you are Zia Ahmad is wife Fatima and son ariz thank you all
2: so much thank you thank you